0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Vavil UK League 1 and 2 podcast with me, Kelham Hilton, James Crossan and Adam Doyle. There might be no football at the moment, but that doesn't mean there's been any less drama in the EFL.
1: James, what have we got coming up today? That's right Cal. League 2 have voted to end the season immediately and decide it by a points per game system, but it is far more complex in League 1, with talks expected to rumble on throughout the week. Tonight we're joined by a couple of great guests who have shed some light on the situation.
2: Yes, we are really looking to be joined by Lecturer of Football Finance at the University of Liverpool, Kieran Maguire, to discuss the financial implication of COVID-19 for clubs in League 1 and 2. We'll also be joined by the Tranmere Rovers Correspondent for Liverpool Echo, Tom Cavier, to debate the potential football outcome in League 1 and why Tranmere, of all clubs, could well feel hard done by. All that and more coming up in today's Vavil Football Podcast.
0: So, as we know, talks have been ongoing in League One on whether to end the season now or decide it by sporting merit, or to carry on playing. Kieran, in terms of the finances, what kind of challenges are clubs currently faced with?
3: um if if matches do continue um then what clubs will have to do is to take staff uh, including players potentially depending upon the individual circumstances out of furlough um so that's going to be an increased cost for the clubs um on top of that um there will be the costs of testing players which are estimated for a League One club to be between 125 and 140 thousand pounds uh, to complete the season, and they'll have no extra money coming in, um, and there'll also be a loss of uh, matchday income. I think clubs have been writing to fans saying, "What do you want to do with your season ticket money?" Giving fans the option of requesting refunds, which which is fair enough, and I think some fans will have to do that out of circumstances. Other fans have been very generous um, and been, have been in a position where they can say, uh, we'll, we'll let the club keep the money because we want the club to be in existence. So it's, it's a very challenging time for clubs in both of those divisions.
0: We saw in League Two that there was a fairly unanimous decision made in terms of ending the season. Um, I think it was a 20-4 to 4 majority decided to do that. Why, why has there been such an issue in terms of
3: deciding League One? It's very much driven by money. The difference between um, the broadcast rights for League Two and League One is around about £400,000 400, 400 to £500,000 a season. So clearly it's a significant amount of money, but given that it's going to cost you an extra four hundred grand to play the matches, there's no, there's no real benefit to clubs to, to carry on in the present position. When we get to League One, it becomes much more severe. Um, The the TV deal in the Championship is worth around about seven to seven and a half million pounds, Um, so compared to just over one and a half for clubs in League One. So you're you're looking at an increase of around about six million quid purely from TV money. Then of course you've got the prospect of all of those big clubs in the Premier sorry in in the Championship coming to your Ground um, as away fans, you know, Derby will fill it out. So will Borough, Forest, you know, Leeds. If they don't go up, but they probably will. There's so many big teams in the Championship that you're going to have far better. Um, match day income assuming that matches are going to be taking place at some point um, and that will also allow clubs to, to sign better shirt deals because you're more likely to be chosen to be on Sky Sports in the championship than you are in League One. So you put those together and, and ultimately it, it's being driven by the additional revenues that you can earn from being a championship club and of course you've got that 3 in 24 chance at the start of the season of getting into the Premier League two.
1: I just wanted to ask you quickly, um, in terms of the League One, there's been a lot of different ideas floated of how to finish the season. Um, Do you think it is a possibility, there's been talks of extending the playoffs, that kind of thing. Do you think that kind of solution is viable? I know that League Two have come to a solution where um, they've basically played it so that the playoffs is what the playoffs would normally be. Um, And just following on from that as well, if a club was to take their staff and their players
3: out of furlough, is there the option to go back into furlough? Um, I, I don't know about the the, the the going back into furlough. I would suspect that the answer would be yes, um, because we could quite easily return to the government changing the health rules with regards to which, which companies and which industries should be um, allowed to trade. With, with regards to the elongated form of playoffs, and I think this has been put forward by Ipswich Town who are in 10th position, and this proposal would allow the clubs in positions 3 to 10, which I'm sure is a coincidence, um, to um, have effectively eight teams in the playoffs. Um, so that effectively would be, you know, whether they'd be one leg or two leg initially, we don't know. But there, therefore, there'd only be five games for those clubs to play. The clubs, effectively, from 11th down... Um, wouldn't have to play any matches, um, and that would allow them to keep their players and other members of staff in furlough, and of course not have to incur the costs of testing. Um, I would imagine that the clubs that are presently in positions three to six wouldn't be happy about that because it's effectively halving their chances of being promoted. So what we will see is an almighty bun fight um, in in the cha- in League One because everybody's acting in their own best interests, which which is understandable. Yeah, we, we do that subconsciously all the time.
1: Cheers. And, and just quickly as well, at what point do the EFL just say enough is enough with the meetings? I mean, we've had three, I believe, already. One that was um, postponed today. Um, we've still not got a resolution. And there's, there's obviously League 2 awaiting for the decision of League one to so that they can ratify their own deal. What, what point does it get to to the EFL really have to take it into their own hands? Do you think that it's going to be a resolution, re, resolution made
3: by the clubs? Um, I, I, if the clubs aren't on board, I, I think the the EFL board themselves would look rather adrift from the, the will of their members because ultimately the EFL is a company owned by its shareholders and, and each club is a single share. Um, I I think the the EFL board will be looking at the clock. Contracts expire on the 30th of June. Now, normally, players, my understanding is that they would get a a month's, effectively a month's payoff at the end of June, um, effectively as a a sort of a mini redundancy if they're out of contract. But in theory, that that could take them to the 31st of August. So I I think the EFL will be looking at the, the, the countdown clock because there's going to be so many players. It's estimated there'll be 1,400 players out of contract come the end of June or the end of July. And, and that that clearly is is the backstop position. You, you can't carry on football beyond that date. So it would be a case of, realistically, when can players return to training? How long, realistically, is it to, to get the match fit? And then how many fixtures can be fitted in, including the playoffs, before the 31st of July with regards to League Two, whilst the League Two clubs have made their decision, that also has to be ratified by the other divisions and the Football Association themselves. Now, now my understanding is that clubs in the Championship and the FA are both very unhappy with regards to the proposal for there to be no relegation, because they feel this would set a precedent which could be taken up by the Premier League. And clearly, you've got clubs at the bottom of the Premier League, who are starting to be a little bit more vociferous about saying, well, we could abandon football as well and have no relegation. And and that would lead to a huge amount of very expensive litigation between uh, clubs such as um, Leeds and West Brom and and the bottom clubs in the Premier League. So, So we're not quite finished yet with regards to League Two. Uh, but League League One, I think there'll be an awful lot of WhatsApp group discussions taking place, probably as we speak, but also over the next 48 hours, um, trying to get some form of a uh, ultimate agreement.
2: Kieran, okay, you you talked about in in the Price of Football podcast uh, of the test and that it's going to cost £140,000 to test the players. Is that even economically viable for any League One or Two club to... We talk about the playoffs and that the AFL want the playoffs to, to be there, but... How come that even okay when when the cost is that big
3: well I think it's a valid point that you raise <clears throat> because um the the clubs in league one are are losing money the the average losses, according to my calculations last season, were around about forty grand a week now that's when you've got match day coming in that's when you've got owners who are in a position to get to dip into their own pockets to keep the clubs afloat um, we're now in a situation where we've not got match day income coming in um, owners themselves will be you know will be finding things tough because they've got their own businesses which their staff are in furlough they've had to make people redundant i don't think they can be seen to be subsidizing a football club when you're making your own staff redundant so it's going to put a huge amount of pressure on those clubs in league 1 to incur those costs um, with a view to trying to get promoted. And, and that's what is driving them um, at present. Uh, there is some resistance, but we, I think we've got a gang of six who are being very vociferous. I think Darren McAntony is effectively the spokesperson for them. Um, and and he's, he's, he's trying to claim it from a football integrity perspective, but, but there is there is no integrity in football. Um, I, I think when it comes to decisions of this nature, there's nothing wrong with acting in self-interest, but it's a very expensive self-interest. Some owners have deeper pockets than others. And, and I think those are the people who are more inclined to want to continue the season.
0: That's a very interesting point that you raise there, Kieran, about the integrity argument. Um, one club who have, who are probably going to be affected more in terms of opportunity or lack of opportunity, a Tranmere. Um, Relegation seems to have become somewhat of a side issue in League One. Tom Kavir is the Tranmere correspondent for the Liverpool Echo. Tom, do you think it would be fair for Tranmere to be relegated under these circumstances?
4: Uh, It's quite a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think um, you can look at it sort of any way and I think... It could be sort of considered unfair for for any team really, um, regardless of which, which way you go with it. Um, I think Tranmere just got to sort of the point where they were in a really good position, having won three games in a row, and when you were looking at their sort of remaining matches, they were quite favourable actually, and they were against teams sort of in and around Tranmere. Uh, they had Lincoln, Rochdale, Wimbledon, MK Dons those were the four games they had coming up and I think if you were looking at it based on sort of that momentum they were building uh, based on sort of teams around them sort of slipping up a little bit and I think they were probably sensing Tranmere coming back into it and I think they would have gone on to stay up from that position just because things were starting to really sort of come together within the team you're seeing sort of the January signings sort of linking up now and I do think it would be unfair for Tranmere to be relegated, but I don't really see a a, a fair way of doing it, to be honest, for everyone, because I'm sure teams in the playoffs would say it's not fair for them as well if you declare it null and void and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any easy option for anyone, but, yeah, I don't think it's particularly fair on them, given how they've come back up into League One, but... I'm sure they're quite understanding of that, Mark and Nicola. Tom, you raised the point of
2: games coming up, and especially when you look you know, at the home games they've had to play the season basically on a rugby pitch. And the new pitch that they've got now, That you talk about the integrity, and if you think about a full 46-game season, that wouldn't have been there midway through the season. So do you think also if it were to restart the season, you think, well, that's unfair in itself, That the conditions
4: are changing constantly um yeah, that's an interesting point as well. I know that the pitch sort of became a massive talking point. Every team that was sort of coming to tranmere have had been complaining about it kind of a week before the game was taking place, and I think Mickey Mellon I think got a bit fed up with it in the end because pretty much any team that was coming to Tranmere was basically saying before the game that. It's it's not really what we're used to playing on, that sort of thing, kind of having an excuse before the game, if you like. But uh, it didn't really help Tranmere actually, the pitch, because it's it made them um, quite sloppy on the ball, and it just slowed them down on the attack. So it wasn't really beneficial to them either during the season. Um, obviously, the, like you say, the new pitch is down, so you would think that would give them uh, probably more of an advantage now. Like you say, because it's a better condition for them to be playing in. But um, yeah, I think the pitch, the thing with the pitch though, um, I think Tranmere wouldn't have gone ahead and doing all this work with it. It was ideally sort of going to take place after the season, but when it sort of became clear that there was going to be a gap now with no football, I think that's when Mark Palios sort of decided to press ahead with it because this there was this sort of free gap to do it in, if you like. So. Uh, the only reason it's been done now is because there's no football on, but ideally it was going to be done sort of in the pre-season time. Kieran, just to bring
2: you into the, the whole Tramere debate, when we think about it and we think the, the financial side, do you think personally it'd be more beneficial for Tramere just to say, OK, we'll accept relegation because in the long run, it will help financially, it will make more sense? Or do you think they should play on because 46-game season, that's what we agreed at the start of the season?
3: I, th- I think the most important thing is is that we're able to talk about Tranmere Rovers in, in one year, three year, and five years' time. And, and I think Mark and Nicola will, will make a decision upon what they think is for the best long-term interests of the club with that in regard. Um, if they feel that they can absorb the costs... Of playing the matches and incurring the the testing fees then then they might decide to go ahead if they don't I, I think that they they will give serious consideration to voting to uh you know to abandon the season you know, ideally uh, in a similar situation to that of League two, which involves no relegation but of course, the league two clubs have also voted for three clubs to be promoted and one club to come up from the playoffs so We've got the potential for, for to end up with a very bloated division. Um, whether that's going to be in League One or League Two, as yet, nobody w- is quite uh, quite there. Um, it, it's a real challenge for the clubs because uh, I, I've met uh, Mark Palios, and, and I've got to say I've been overwhelmed by his business sense um, and his ability to to look at the long term picture. You know, he does have a background in insolvency. He knows the the demands that cash make on a business in in the short term, and, and I think he will have already done his sums and, and reached a conclusion. And uh, you know, t- there's a certain certain element of huge respect for the fact that he, he's tended to keep his own counsel when it's come to Tranmere Rovers. He he's spoken he's spoken more broadly on the financial pressures uh, facing the game as a whole. And
0: um, Tom, we've we've briefly touched upon um, the integrity of the competition. Um, and I, I, I sort of have a theory that whoever would have got relegated from League One might have had a bit of a an axe to grind because, of course, Tranmere at the start of the season, they played Bolton and beat them 5-0, but it was a Bolton youth team. So, if, 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 Tranmere, would fin- if, if Tranmere was to play on and then finish a yeah. ball for Wimbledon, for example, who didn't play Bolton youth team by a point, two points, something like that, again, does that, do you think, morally... Is that correct?
4: Um, yeah, that's another good point as well. I know a lot of people made the point about teams who played Bolton at the start of the season and that it wasn't particularly fair for them when they played them a few months later when Bolton had a much better side. Um, yeah, I, I can see that point. But I think, again, any way you look at it, it's, it's quite difficult to say uh, either way what would be the best way to do it, really. Um just in terms of relegation itself in terms of Wimbledon they were in a position similar to Tranmere this time last season uh, but probably in a worse position i think they they were quite far adrift i think it was sort of something like 7 points going into the last month uh, and managed to turn it around and stay up there was i think there was about 10 or 11 teams involved in the relegation last season but they managed to turn it around and i think that's the one issue i have with points per game system I think Mickey Mellon's actually said it in an interview with TalkSport recently as well it's that you can't let a computer determine how these games would have played out because there's so many other factors that come into it when you're looking at momentum, the players that you've got on the team that may be coming back from injury who you've got injured in the team as well Um, obviously the fixtures you've got, how difficult they are and when you look at Tramir's fixtures particularly the four they had coming up against Lincoln, Rochdale, Wimbledon and MK Dons, I think they, they probably could have at least got a couple of wins out of those and that would have changed everything. Um, so yeah, it's a, I mean, if you, for a really extreme example, when you look at Leicester in the Premier League in the 14-15 season, they were seven points adrift of safety with nine games left and they won seven of the last nine games to stay up. I think they ended up finishing 14th, and then they won the Premier League next season. So I think, yeah, it's, it's pretty much impossible to decide how you do it, but I don't think you can sort of say how the last nine or ten games would play out. I think it's almost impossible to predict that. But, um, yeah, another void is not really an option that I don't think is going to happen. So who knows what they do from here, really?
0: It's it's interesting that you mention uh, null and void, Kieran. Why do you think, with everything that Tom's just said about how you can't you can't predict the last nine games, which is which is very true, and if we can't play the season, on, why do you think null and void has been taken off the table?
3: Because I think the the fear is that uh, there will be immediate litigation from those clubs that feel that they have lost the right to be promoted, and the the EFL has already advanced effectively all of its money um, to the clubs in league one and two. Many of the clubs have also applied for loans from the EFL. Um, a, a lawsuit would be, it could drag on for months if not longer. Um, and it would be very costly. Um, if, if you go back to the, the Queens Park Rangers financial fair play claim that took four years to resolve um, and cost you know, six or seven million pounds in total. Um, this could be just as long and bitter and probably far more expensive. And, and I don't think the EFL wants to commit to those costs. Um, and ultimately, it, it does see itself as a football body and it, and it wants matches to take place. Um, a, a null and void season means that all of those clubs who've been underwritten and have been financially supported by owners over the course of the last twelve months who so some of those owners will have gone down they, they they will they will have found every penny down the side of their sofa to put together um a a budget which potentially have got promotion for the club this season and to have all that thrown away, I, I think those owners would feel very, very sore about it um and, and they would react accordingly. Kieran, just touching
1: on um, the court action, and also uh, what you said about sporting integrity being completely nothing in football. Um, how how far do you think sporting integrity integrity would stand in a court of law? How how far could clubs like Peterborough and Darren McAntony take any? future court case if they weren't to get the way that they want the season to be finished and completed.
3: Well, I mean, it's, uh, in- integrity counts for nothing in a court of law because it's not laid down in specific rules and specific clauses within the EFL's own constitution. Um, I think what Dara McAntony's council would be saying is that we signed up for a 46-game season. Um, On the back of that, Dara McAnthony put together a squad. He invested in the team and the management um, and... Um, he's been denied the opportunity to reap the financial rewards of promotion to the championship. Uh, and, and therefore, as he has suffered some form of financial loss, um, he's entitled to some form of compensation on the back of that. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm a bit cynical about sporting integrity because you know, we, we, we see professional fouls taking place every week. We, are, we hear about people having bookings, taking one for the team, and we just nod when it's our team and, and and we curse the referee and the opposition when it's somebody else's. So there is, I think we should not try to pretend that there is a nobility in the game. Um, I think there's many good people doing individual very good things and there's many clubs who are doing fantastic things in the community at present. But um, the idea of sporting integrity, I-, I think there's just it's it's a hugely hypocritical concept. Um, yeah, I think today's uh, I was reading today about the the Derby and Leeds United uh, spygate spat, and the more you read about it, the the, the more tawdry it becomes.
2: Kieran, you, we you talk about the advances of loans to to EFL clubs, and in Germany, we saw that the top clubs came in and, and created a fund. It was a twenty million pound, twenty million euro funds uh, to support fellow German clubs to, to ease the burden on them financially. Do you think there's got to come a point where the big boys come together and say, "Okay, financially, financially, we're losing out, but the teams below us are going to lose out a hell a lot more."
3: I, I, I would love that to be the case. Um, why would a Russian oligarch, a Middle Eastern uh, state fund, um, an American based in Florida, why should they care about the future of Morecambe, the future of Southend United, Walsall, and so on? They've, they've got no emotional link. If we, if we take the Bundesliga, the German clubs are are owned by the German fans, yeah, because they've got, they've got the 50 plus one rule. So I think there is more of a community more of a collegiate view taken of the german sport of football than there is here by our owners now you know that, that's that's not criticizing the owners on an individual basis you know roman abramovich has done some pretty amazing things for the local chelsea community but he's not going to extend that uh, generosity or benevolence to clubs in league 2 because he they, they just simply don't go on his radar Tom, I
0: just wanted to ask you about a potential, a potential solution to the to the relegation situation. Um, if Tranmere can't play out the season, for example, uh, let's assume that it's going to be voted to end it on points per game. Do you think that something like a relegation playoff, like we do in Germany, between the playoff winners of League Two, or a mini league between, say, Wimbledon? Mk Dons
4: and Rochdale do you think that that would be a fairer solution and do you think it's viable uh yeah that's an interesting point uh, I've seen that sort of being mentioned about a potential playoff for relegation um I, I don't know I think the problem with that would be more about the teams agreeing to it because I don't think uh the likes of Rochdale and Accrington Stanley who are sort of just hanging above the relegation zone I'm I'm pretty sure they're they're probably quite happy with the position we're in at the minute because either way, it's probably unlikely that they're going to be too affected by the outcome. Um, And I wouldn't have thought they'd want to be sort of dragged into some sort of relegation playoff. Um, I think that's only going to suit teams like Tranmere, really, who still maybe had a chance of staying up. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to see season played out just to see what would have happened obviously but only if it's safe to be able to do that and i just think of all the the testing the cost of testing like kieran's mentioned how much that will cost and i just don't know if that's going to be like a viable option really for clubs um it would be yeah it'd be, it'd be a good concept but i just don't see it happening that way
2: kieran okay, we, we talk about the want of football to come back and naturally that's what everybody wants and we i was speaking to the the lads off off air and we were saying how with the government our response as a nation was a lot slower than that of germany and so we see german football come back now and they're at a point where they can excuse playing football and taking tests because they're at a lot better position than we are can you understand the argument to say well listen we can't have football now because we are so far behind the other countries that it just does not make sense at all. For the testing, for the health of the players, Troy Deeney's come out and said, listen, I'm not putting my family's health at risk. Can you understand all that? That those situations?
3: Uh, very much so. If we take a look at the two countries who have restarted their football leagues, it's South Korea who instigated a policy of testing, tracing and isolation from the very start, and Germany, who also took a very proactive viewpoint. Um, I think what we now are seeing is political pressure from the government on the Premier League at least to start, because if it doesn't, it it reflects very poor politically uh, in, in respect of the government, as you've just effectively been saying. Um, in in the sense that the, the strategies which have been employed in the UK were either too dilutive or too late or too little. Um, and as a consequence, we've ended up with a more severe lockdown than um, anybody would have liked. Um, if football returns then it's, it's giving all those sort of very sort of nudge-nudge signals that, that things are returning to normal. Um, if, it do, if, if the vote is that the Premier League doesn't return and nothing happens in the championship in League One as well, um, I, I think that's effectively saying that the UK has handled the coronavirus very poorly um, and, it, and it reflects badly on the country as a whole. So that there is now very much a U-turn from the government, which originally was very hostile towards the football industry. If you think about Matt Hancock's initial comments with regards to footballers' wages, whereas now it's being seen as uh, you know cheering up the nation and things of that nature.
0: I just wanted to ask you um, about the cost of maybe not having fans in for over, until 2021. Seems to be worst case scenario. Can League One and Two clubs can they survive without supporters
3: until for for that long amount of time? It's it's going to be really tough. If if we take a club such as Shrewsbury, forty seven percent of their matchday income came from matchday. Uh, You know, AFC Wimbledon, 35 percent, Coventry, 41 percent. So the proportion of money which is coming direct from fans is much higher in League One and League Two because they get so much less money coming through from TV. If... If matches are going to take place behind closed doors, what I think the, the football league will have to do, and I think it has the ability to do it, is to be able to offer some form of digital product for fans. But the problem they're going to have there is that whereby you might be willing to pay 18 or 20 quid to watch a match at home, um, if, if you're a fan, you wouldn't be prepared to pay that if you're watching it via a TV. So... It will generate a little bit of money, but the sums we're talking about, you know, the clubs are going to be worse off. They will have lower overheads, um, t- matches taking place be- before closed closed stadia, um, but the savings will not be particularly significant. I think the only hope for many clubs, and this is bad news for the players, is that with potentially 1,400 players being out of contract in June, that the those uh, th- those issues will have a, a very negative impact on player wages uh, in terms of the renewal of contracts or contracts being offered to players who are looking for a new club. So there will be some cost savings, but I, I don't think that they will be sufficient to make up for the loss of matchday income, which is likely to result, um, I think, um, unless we have Clear evidence of progress in terms of a vaccine or a major improvement in in terms of the way that we are dealing with the coronavirus, then playing in front of crowds for the whole of 2021 is going to be uh, unlikely.
1: And just quickly, Kieran, probably a final question here. Um, you touched there about um, South Korea and Germany getting back um, to, to sort of play in, uh, obviously in front of no crowds at the moment, but. It's possible that it will be quicker to change due to them being back playing football quicker. Um, do you are, are there any other countries that are comparable to the situation that the UK, especially England's lower leagues, find themselves in? And if so, what are they doing differently?
3: Um, in terms of the lower leagues, I think I think the lower leagues in in most countries in Europe have closed down. What what is unique about England? And, and I think if you if you if you go overseas and you, you talk to to fans um yet they talk about the premier league but they always also ask how on earth do you have 92 or 91 as we have this season full time professional clubs because there is so little interest in non-top-tier football or non-top-two divisions uh, football in the other major countries in Europe. It simply isn't an issue. The the teams are either amateur or they are part-time, so therefore they don't have the same degree of overheads to deal with as we're seeing in League One and League Two.
0: Right, well, I'm afraid this is all we have time for today. Thank you so much to Kieran Maguire and Tom Kavilla for joining us today and for you for listening at home. Hopefully by next week, we will have some more clarity on the situation in League One. But until then, it's goodbye from us.